And Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out demons. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear their sandals, but not even to take a change of clothes. And wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. And so the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons, and they healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. And he said this because uh, there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so they left by boat for a quiet place so that they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And so the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Now late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Well, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and they reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And so then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to his disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. Now, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills alone by himself to pray. Now, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, and when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand about the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it all in. But after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. 
They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. And the people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched it were healed. Welcome to episode six of Shook. Now, if you guys have been paying attention for the last few weeks, there's been a lot of shocking things that we've talked about. Jesus is healing people, casting out demons. He's raising the dead. Today, he does what might be the most shocking thing yet. Did you catch it? In case you didn't, let me explain it kind of with a different way. Let, let me give you a scenario and, and invite you to just put yourself in this moment and to think about how, how crazy this would be. Picture that you had the opportunity to go observe a surgery. Like back in the day when they actually let people do that, you could go and you could watch, right? And you're sitting there in the seats amongst all the other people and, and you're looking down and, and there you see them, right? You've got the, the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and all the various nurses and supporting people. And then they've got all the machines uh, that are going beep and presumably doing things that actually matter besides just beeping. Uh, they've got the patient there uh, and everything's all prepped you know, and, and that patient's ready to go and they're wearing a gown that doesn't really cover everything that you would like such a gown to cover, but they're there and, and they've even maybe drawn an X on one leg, be like, not this one, operate on this one, you know, to prevent any surgery mishaps. And then they get all the tools laid out neatly, right? They're all sanitized, sterilized, uh, and, uh, and then the, the surgeon picks up the scalpel. They're ready to begin the surgery. And in that moment, the surgeon looks up at you in the gallery and beckons you to come down. And so you get out of your seat and you, you make your way down and you, you go stay next to the surgeon. And then the surgeon hands you the scalpel and says, you perform the surgery. Wouldn't you flip? Would that not be the most absurd thing that you could ever imagine happening to you? I mean, you're saying, what in the world is he even talking about? And you're praying that no one else in the audience is eating junior mints right now. Some of you got that. Can you imagine how absolutely absurd, baffling, litigious that would be if the person on the table found out that instead of the expert, instead of the person who spent years and decades in medical school and practice, that he just called some random schmo out of the audience and said, you do the surgery? That's what we just witnessed in the Gospel of Mark today. Right, God himself has come down, the guy who has all the power in the universe, and he is showing it for the last five weeks, right? He's, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's shaking up the status quo, he's offending the religious leaders, he's doing all these amazing, shocking, brilliant things. And then today, for some reason, he turns to his disciples and he says, you do it. And they do. So I don't know about you, but that, that to me is a, is a pretty unsettling thing to wrestle with, this idea that Jesus isn't only this God who does all these things himself, that he then turns to people that are distinctly unqualified just by nature of not being God, and he asks them to do it as well. In fact, let's go and let's look again at this story, just some of these highlights to just see what happens, right? So, so verse seven, he calls his 12 disciples together and he starts sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Again, my mind would be blown and yet they did it. They went out, they told everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. 
And they cast out many demons and they healed many sick people, even anointing them with oil. It actually worked. All right, so, so they did that. And then you know, they, they went out and it was quite a while that they were out doing this. So, you know, a few months, it sounds like. And then they come back and they tell Jesus, they gather around and they report to him all these amazing things they've done and taught. They're like, Jesus, it's crazy. We would say a demon come out and he came out and we'd tell someone to be healed and and they were, and, and they're just so excited, and they're reporting all this. And, and if it were me, and I was some sort of a ministry leader, uh, you know, like not that I have any experience being a ministry leader at all, but if it were me, I'd be like, great job, guys. That was really hard work. Good job. Go take a break. You're done. I'm sorry I asked you to do something so difficult. That is not what Jesus did. So they come back, and they report all this stuff to him. And so what does he do next? Well, next, he goes out, and he's preaching to this crowd and again, just to, to set the stage, if you put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. If I'm standing there and I'm listening to Jesus and I know that we're in a remote place because we went there on purpose and I know there's no nearby towns or villages, they don't have McDonald's back then, all right? And I know that there's all these people and it's getting late, they've been out here for hours. I'm not even listening to Jesus anymore, even if I'm one of the apostles, right? Like I'm standing there and he's like, yeah, 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 turn the other cheek, got it. Oh, the meek will inherit the earth. This is great, Jesus. Jesus, do you understand that, that these people are about to turn on us because they're going to be hangry real soon? Like, and my anxiety would just be just rising, rising, rising. And I'm like, what's he going to do? Until finally, which is what they do, they say, Jesus, we got to do something about these people as if he hadn't noticed. Because clearly he's not paying attention. You know, he just loves to hear himself talk, Jesus. He doesn't even know that this crowd is about to be hungry. And in this moment... Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. You feed them. And they reacted to him 100% reasonably. <laughs> what are you talking about? That would take more than a half year's wages. Are we, how are we going to spread that much bread and give, you know, where are we going to find it uh, and give it to them to eat? Like, this is, this is impossible, Jesus. This is baffling. And then he actually shows up. He does this amazing miracle, but he's not done yet. Like this wasn't hard enough. He asked him to do one hard thing and now he's asked him to do this impossible thing. He just fed all this crowd with this miraculous thing with fishes. And then that's not enough. He puts them in a boat when he knows a storm is coming. Because again, this is God who has mastery of the wind and the waves. And he knows, and he puts them in a boat without him. He doesn't go in the boat. He puts them in the boat. And then in this moment uh, of peril, he puts his disciples in this position where they're straining at the oars because the wind is against them. They're thinking they're about to drown and die. And at the last second before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Pretty good gig being a follower of Jesus, isn't it? I'd want to do that. No, I wouldn't. And this is what's so fascinating about the story that we get from Mark this week is, is he's painting a very clear picture of something that he hasn't spent a lot of time on and therefore we haven't spent a lot of time on for the last few weeks. You see, uh, Mark is describing that there are different groups of people uh, divided by the way that they react to Jesus when he comes among them teaching and healing in power, right? So as Jesus is walking the earth doing all of these shocking, unsettling, uh, upending things, there, there are a few responses that people seem to have and, and that we've seen. Now some, they just reject it. 
I mean, we've seen this. It's the, the religious leaders who like things the way they were. They didn't really want someone coming along and changing everything. This is the people in his hometown uh, that Dion Garrett talked about last week, where they just go, ah, this doesn't make any sense to us. They reject him, right? And then Mark spends a lot of time, and this is what we spend a lot of time talking about, the, the bulk of people, which is that a lot of people do just receive that teaching and healing. They're so grateful. They, they, they show up. They cast out demons. He, he, he unparalyzes them. Uh, he raises people from the dead. And they're just grateful to receive this miraculous work of God in their lives. And, and nothing more is asked of them. And, and for the most part, that's who Mark has been describing and focusing on. He's been showing how some people reject, some people receive. But there's now this third category of people that Mark is going to describe and talk about today. These people who don't just, do, uh, don't just receive passively what Jesus is doing, they're actually invited to follow him and to reflect his teaching and his healing power to others around them. These are the three groups, and this is where Mark's going to be spending his time today. And what's interesting is I look at these categories. These are pretty much the exact same categories that exist right now in 2019. Like, not a lot has changed from 2,000 years ago to today. We still have people uh, who get exposed in some way to Jesus' teaching, maybe some, some healing power, but, but probably mostly teaching these days, and they reject it. They look at the example of Christians uh, that are supposed to reflect Jesus, and they say, ah, it's not actually that compelling to me. And, uh, and it's a reasonable position to take. They're not even seeing Jesus directly healing and casting out demons. They're just left with the witness of the church, and they look at it and they say, well, the church is not that great of a witness. And so they reject him, and I get it. And then there's some people that, that receive Jesus' teaching and healing, and, and they do. They receive it uh, passively, and they're grateful for it. And then that's kind of the end of their journey with Jesus. Now, these are the people that um, are grateful that, for example, they're going to heaven. I believe with all my heart that Jesus has a spot for me in heaven, and now I'm kind of done. And I'm glad for that, and uh, when the day comes, I'll be happy to receive that, but I, I'm not really interested in doing more. Uh, I'm not really open for Jesus changing my life in any sort of radical way. I, I sure don't want to be you know, someone who has to actually reorient my life and follow Jesus. Like, I'll just be grateful for the healing that he's done. And again, this is a fairly reasonable response to Jesus. I can't fault someone that feels this way. Uh, in fact, we just experienced it. I shared a few weeks ago about how my wife had this um, crazy uh, disab disabilitating pain, or debilitating pain. Uh, we did finally figure it out. It was an abscess in one of her teeth, and so we went to an endodontist in the area, and it was amazing. I mean, instant relief. Like, they went in, um, they fixed the abscess, and, and just instantly she was pain-free. But we're not, like, going to have the endodontist over to dinner all the time now. Like, we're not going to go hang out. And be like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And, and you know, we're going we're gonna to be friends, right? Like we, we received the, the blessing. We, we got the healing. They did their job. They did it well. She's healed. And we're very grateful. And now we're moving on with our lives. It's kind of reasonable. And this is what a lot of people do with Jesus. And again, that, that's perfectly consistent. It's a good thing to do. But now there's this third group that Mark invites us to consider. This group that, that, again, by the fact that you at least are sitting here makes me think that you're at least interested in considering that maybe this is a group you'd want to be in. This group that Jesus invites to follow him more intentionally, to actually orient their lives around him, and as such to reflect his teaching, his healing, his power to the greater world. 
And this is uh, an incredibly fascinating thing to think about and to look at what Jesus is calling. And that's what Mark is doing in this episode this week. And so it's what we're going to do for the rest of our time is we're going to assume if you're one of the people that thinks you might be interested in being in this third category of people, well, then let's look at what Mark describes. Let's look at what Jesus actually calls those who follow him to do. So, so here's the thing. For, for those who want to follow and reflect Jesus, here's what we see in the story from Mark today. So the first thing is that he asks his followers to do hard things. I mean, that's the very beginning of this story, right? He, he, he brings some of his disciples together. And he says, all right, you guys ready? I've been casting out demons. You saw that? And they're like, yeah, we saw that. And I've been healing people. You saw that? Yeah, we saw that. He's like, all right, your turn. Go do this hard thing. And what's interesting to me is I read that story, and that already feels like an impossible, miraculous, uh, shocking, no way I could do a thing. It feels like a surgeon handing me a scalpel and saying, do this thing you have no preparation for. But what's interesting is that's not how they took it. They actually just took it as a hard but a reasonable thing. And when you think about it, it's because for the last two years, they've been walking around with Jesus, and they've seen him doing these things. They, they were no longer out of the realm of possibility. Right, it's like that moment where, um, where you hand a 15-year-old the keys to the car and say, all right, it's time to start learning how to drive this sucker. And it might be intimidating, it might be uh, you know, a little scary, a little nerve-wracking, but it's not impossible because they've watched you drive a car for 15 years. They know that it's a reasonable thing that they could be expected to do. All right, but so then from there, Jesus doesn't just settle for that. He actually then, he, he kind of ramps up the intensity. And then once they've had experience doing hard things, then he does ask them to do impossible things, right? They've seen that you can cast out demons, you can heal people, that they have experience of that. But they've never seen, no one has seen, that you could have 5,000 men plus all the women and children and with five loaves of bread and a couple of fishes that you could feed the whole crowd. That's, that's outside the realm of possibility, that, that's not a thing uh, that anyone does. And yet, he asks them to do that as well. And we'll talk a little more about what, what that does and, and why he asked that. And, and then if that wasn't enough, or they've seen this miracle, then, then Jesus, he really turns the screws. And then he says, no, I actually, I want you to risk your life. And if you caught that detail, he is the one who put them into the boat. It wasn't an accident that a storm came up and that they were within moments of drowning. That was 100% within Jesus' power and his intention for the disciples. He wanted them to be put in a perilous situation. And so as I look at this list, I ask myself a question that I assume some of you are asking now too. Why would anyone want to follow Jesus? Like these, these don't sound like fun things to do. This doesn't sound like a life that I would necessarily want to choose for myself. Uh, and I'm starting to look real hard again at that second category, the one where you just receive healing and heaven and salvation, and you just go, I'm good. I'll stop right there. Thanks, Jesus. I'll move on. And yet, as we look at this, I want to I work through this with you a little more today, that I think this is, in fact, the best, the most joyful, the most rewarding way to live. You see, all those people that they received healing from something, and it was probably significant. I mean, they were paralyzed. They had a demon. But then once Jesus did that healing and moved on, their experience with him was done. Any further great things weren't going to happen uh, because they'd gotten their one thing. They'd, they'd been healed or they'd heard a really good teaching. Like, oh, yeah, that was wise. That was shrewd. Love your neighbor. Got it, Jesus. I'm going to do that. But then his impact and power and blessing over their life was, was done. 
And so what you see here as we look at this list is that for those that are willing to follow and reflect Jesus, he does these things for a few reasons. And first is to say, for our own sake. That in fact, we need this trajectory in our lives for our own benefit. Let let, let me explain. The first thing kind of makes sense, right? We have to do hard things in order to grow. I mean, that's, that's basic business principles, that you have to challenge people. If you just let people stay in their comfort zones, then they never develop, they never learn new skills, they never get maturity or confidence or wisdom. You ask people to do hard things in order that they will grow. And the disciples, it had been two years, they'd been witnessing Jesus cast out demons and heal people, and they were probably content to say that, this is great, we've got front row seats to the best action in town. And they never would have grown. But Jesus instead says, no, this is actually something I want you to do. Uh, I'm confronted with this. Um, we, we recently unpacked our uh, like 12-year-old Nintendo Wii, and we've been playing Super Mario Galaxy uh, with the family, really old game. And, and I was confronted with something that I had forgotten happened. But my son, he gets to a boss or a part that's really hard, and what's the first thing he does? Hey, Daddy, can you beat this part for me? And initially I did because I was kind of like, oh, that's right, I remember this game. I used to be good at this game 12 years ago. And, and then about the second or third time, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the point here, the reason we're doing this is not so that I can show off for my kids how good I am at a Nintendo game. The point is I want them to develop confidence and perseverance. And so the next time he said, Dad, you got to beat this part for me. I said, no, I think you can do this because I, I know you can do hard things. And his reaction was, you know, temper tantrum and crying and throwing a fit and daddy, I can't do it. And I said, hey, if the game's not fun, we can turn it off. We can go do some homework or something. And, you know, or no, I'll play the game. I'll play the game, right? And he beat the boss. And there was nothing more rewarding than seeing my son who had been in tears, who had been upset, who had been frustrated, to see him beat the boss that just a few minutes earlier he thought was impossible. He grew because I challenged him to do hard things. And then again, I'm, I would always be so tempted as a leader to just stop there. Like, all right, I've seen, I've seen growth. That's good. Let, let's just kind of call it a day. Let's settle for this. But Jesus doesn't. He moves on. He then asks his followers to do impossible things. And he tells us why. We get a glimpse of it, at least, in the story from Mark. You see, in this moment of frustration, where he and the disciples, they can't even get a private moment to themselves. So they go off to a, a desert, remote area of Galilee just so they can talk and catch up. And he can hear how all the demon casting out went. And the crowd shows up, and if I'm the disciples, if I'm Jesus, I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, we can't ever get a break from you guys. And yet Jesus looked at that crowd and his heart broke because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were so desperate for something to change and transform their lives that he went ahead and put his plans away. And as the disciples a few hours later were faced with this impossible moment where we gotta feed 5,000 and more people, this is impossible, we can't do it. What Jesus uses as an opportunity was to bring compassion in their lives, that same compassion that he felt for the crowds. He invited the disciples to share in that with him. When he said to them, you feed the people, because he didn't just want to have compassion for himself, he wanted them to have it. I've seen this in my own life. I'll tell you, when my wife and I got married, we uh, were on a five, we were on a very um, tracked out plan. We had a plan for ourselves. And one of them was, uh, you, know, we were, you know, we were pretty young in our careers. She had just graduated college. And we said, you know, we don't want to have kids for five years because we want to be financially responsible. And it would just be impossible for us. We got debt to pay off. We're still paying off the wedding. Um, you know, we got all this debt. We need to be financially responsible. And when it's possible, uh, in about five years, we should have enough of a head start. Then we'll have kids. 
But as many of you know, if you, if you wait until it's financially possible to have kids, you know when you're going to have kids, right? Never. You're never going to have them. And so God, in his humor and his wisdom, uh, one year in, we got pregnant with our, with our first kid, which was not the plan. And it felt impossible. Like, you know, again, we, we had just finally paid off the wedding a year in. And now we're pregnant. We've got to start saving up for all these fees that are coming up. And it felt impossible. And yet, when we saw that baby... You know, suddenly what becomes impossible, what seems impossible suddenly becomes possible, right? When you start to say, you know, even though we didn't think we had the resources, we didn't have the energy, we didn't have the money, we didn't have the time, we'll do anything we can for this baby. When, when your compassion is, is woken, then suddenly things that you thought were impossible, suddenly they actually become quite reasonable. Jesus asks us to do impossible things because it's his way of developing compassion and love and mercy in us that we wouldn't get otherwise. And then finally, this is the hardest one to wrestle with. Why did he put them on the Sea of Galilee right before a storm? Why, was it just to show off? Was it just to prank them? <laughs> you know, what was he doing there? And, and what you see in this moment is that everyone else, all of the people who rejected Jesus, all of the people that maybe received a teaching or a healing from them and, and their journey with him ended in that moment. That was a good thing, but it wasn't the greatest thing. But these disciples, these 12 men who had, who had already done hard things, who'd done impossible things, they got to experience and discover in a way that no one else at the time did how deep the love and power of God for them was. That in this moment where all hope is lost, where they are instants away from drowning, <laughs> In that moment, they get to see that the God of the universe cares enough for them that he's gonna come out to them personally. He's gonna rescue them from the storm, the wind, and the waves. They got to experience something much deeper, much more powerful, much more hope-giving than someone that just got healed from a disease. And that experience was going to hold them steady for the rest of their lives. In fact, just a year later, when Jesus himself would, would intentionally go to the cross, would die. And then three days later, he'd come back to them and he'd say, guys, I did it for you to rescue you from death. They actually had a moment that they could connect that to, that that wasn't out of the blue, that wasn't unexpected. Jesus could say to them, hey, remember that one time when I saved you from certain death on the lake? They say, oh yeah, we remember that. He said, look, I'm doing that in a bigger way for you and for everyone, not just one particular instance of fear and peril on the Sea of Galilee. From all instances, death no longer has a hold on you. And if they hadn't had this perilous experience, they might not have had the trust to let Jesus actually have that kind of power in their lives. They might not have had the hope to get them through the hard times that come for all of us. And in fact, when we look again at this trajectory of the things Jesus asks of his followers, we see that each and every one of these things clearly and directly is for our own good. That these are the things that give us growth, that give us compassion, and that give us hope in the face of the most dangerous things. And so Jesus is being intentional here. He, he's doing this for our sake to bless uh, and develop us, but that's not it. That's not the end of it either. He's doing it because the world needs us. There's this amazing quote from John who was one of the disciples in the boat in the storm. And he shares one of Jesus's last words before he went to the cross. John says this, Jesus said to his disciples, very truly I tell you, 
Whoever believes in me, who follows me, who does the hard, the impossible, the perilous things, will actually do the works that I have been doing. Not only that, they will do even greater things than these. Are you unsettled yet? This Jesus who casts out demons, raises the dead, upends the status quo, is telling his disciples, he's telling me, he's telling you that you're going to do greater things than what we've just seen described. See, the world needs us. In his plan, he knew that he was only going to be walking around on earth with two legs, doing his healing and his demon casting out for a few short years. But there are seven billion people on this planet. People that are hurting and need someone to bring restoration. People who are starving and need someone to help feed them. People who are hopeless and despairing and need someone to preach a word of hope to them. Seven billion people. They need you. They need me. They need us all. And Jesus knows that if he doesn't challenge his followers, if he doesn't put us on a pretty strict training regimen, we won't be equipped to do this work that the world needs us to do. And so now we're faced with the question, which of the three groups do you want to be in? And there's not a Sunday school answer here. I'm not going to pretend that it's an obvious answer. Oh, yeah, we should all be that third group. We should reflect Jesus' power. We should be followers. We should do perilous things and run headlong into danger, trusting him to save us. That's That's a pretty hard ask. But what I would submit to you is maybe one more point, is not only that it's for your own good to go through this development program that Jesus has for his followers, not only that it's for the world's good that we do these things, but that there's this promise that Jesus makes to those who are willing to answer that call and to say, yeah, Jesus, it's hard, it's scary, it's intimidating, but I'd like to be one of those ones who reflects your teaching and power. He makes this promise that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this as he's describing what it's like to be an ambassador of Christ, what it's like to be someone who walks in the footsteps of Jesus, who experiences the persecution and the scary situations and these moments where you're going to look real dumb if God doesn't show up. Paul says this, he says, we are confident in the face of all of these things because of our great trust in God through Christ. And he says this, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God and God alone. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. This is amazing, powerful truth. And if you walk away with nothing else today, lock these words of the Bible in your hearts. It is not that we are qualified to do anything on our own. The disciples, they weren't, they weren't healing people because they'd been to medical school. They weren't casting out demons because they'd been to exorcism class. It was because they were trusting and relying purely on the power, the authority, the qualification of Christ himself. And here's why this matters to us today. You have a choice. There are really two ways to go through life. You can go through life relying on your qualifications. 
relying on your ability to predict and foresee the threats of the world and to get the training and the expertise and the wisdom that you need to face all the things that the world might throw at you. And you might get pretty far. But what I've seen, what I've witnessed is people that walk that road, they ultimately come up against the thing that is too much for them. The market crashes and that nest egg they've been counting on isn't there waiting for them anymore. Or the training that they got, that field is a dead end and now there's layoffs and, and they get to, you know, towards the end of their life and they no longer have a marketable skill. Or something even more unpredictable comes along that you are not ready to face. Or you live the way Paul describes, you live the way that Jesus invites the apostles to live in Mark, which is to rely purely and solely on the qualifications of Christ. And what's amazing about that second choice is, and this is going to sound bold, if you live that way, if you make that choice, failure is no longer an option. You cannot fail if you are relying on the qualifications of Christ. I know that sounds scary and that sounds bold, but, but notice what we saw today. The disciples, they were asked to go out and cast out demons and heal people, and they did, and it worked. Great. But they were relying on Christ. But then this moment came where Christ asked them to do this impossible thing to feed these, this crowd of 5,000 people with, with five loaves. And were the disciples able to do it? No. They weren't. They freaked out. But Jesus didn't let them fail. He fed the crowd anyway. And even in this moment where they said this is impossible, he showed them how it's possible. Or jump ahead to the boat where they're in the storm. And these disciples who should have just noticed that Jesus gave them power to cast out demons. He, he was able to do a miracle to feed the 5,000. You'd think they should have been able to trust in the qualifications of Jesus in that moment. And did they? No. They panicked. They freaked out. They were terrified. And so did Christ let them fail because they blew it? No, he rescued them anyway. See, if you make that choice to rely on the qualifications of Jesus over, the, over your own abilities and, and, and resources, he actually takes away the option of failure. There's nothing that can undo the work that God intends to do through your life if you are one who follows and reflects his will. Even death itself can't stand in your way. So as we look again at this list, and I'll just tell you guys, I mean, here's where I probably stand. I, I think if I'm being honest with myself, I live like kind of right here. Whereas someone who has, in a lot of ways, dedicated my life to this faith thing that wants to be a follower of Jesus, I, I think I intentionally and consistently put myself in the position to do hard things. Where I, I read the Bible and, and, I, and, and there are things that don't make sense. It says, bless those who persecute you. And I say, all right, that's a really hard teaching. But all right, I, I guess I'm going to do that. And there have been moments, not by my own choice, but moments where things that seemed impossible and even downright life-threatening came along. And in those moments, I was forced to rely on the qualifications of Jesus because mine were clearly not up to the task. And what I can tell you now today is I'm here. I'm standing here now. I'm doing all right. And that in the times where I've dipped my toes in these waters, he has always shown up in some way. Maybe not the way I was hoping, maybe not the way I would have liked him to, but in a way that meant that I kept moving and that he kept doing things with me. And I think that as you reflect on this, if you're anything like me, I've gotten to know this, communi this community of people. You're not people that want to settle for mediocrity. 
You're not people who say, oh, just whatever's good enough, that's what I want. I think we want the best things from God and the best things of God come this way. I think we wanna make a difference in the world. We don't wanna just get to the end of our life and say, well, I took care of me and mine and we got through and now we got heaven waiting for us. I think you wanna make an impact. And as I think of that, it's, it's fitting that on this day we're, we're celebrating one of Jesus' followers a man named Martin Luther, where if you don't know his story, you know that, that he took faith seriously, so seriously that, that he knew that he fell short of the righteousness of God. And so, and so he worked his hardest to try and be a truly righteous person. So hard, in fact, that he was confessing to his father confessor seven, eight times a day. He was waking up in the middle of the night to say, oh, I, I, I sinned in my dreams and I need to confess again. And, and he lived this hard life. And as he did that, he started to be confronted with the fact that, that the church of the day had actually lost sight of Jesus. And he realized that, that to regain the gospel, the good news of Christ, he had to actually go up against the Pope. He had to go up against the emperor, the two most powerful people in history. And he had to actually stand up there and, and do something impossible like saying, I think the Pope's wrong and I think I'm right. And by doing that, he got put in this position where if you don't know the story, he was brought to the Diet of Worms in 1521, where the emperor himself stood in a chair and he said, if you want to live, you need to recant and take back all of these things that you're saying. And now it's become a legend, it's become something that people tell the story of about how Martin Luther stood there and said, here I stand, I can do no other. And, and we forget the fact that the moment he said those words, his life was worth nothing. That it was just gonna be as long as it took him to write up the execution order and he was dead. And if God hadn't shown up in a pretty miraculous way to, to rescue him, and that's a longer, more complicated story than you maybe want to hear right now. Uh, but by doing that, he put himself right in the fire and he should have died. But God rescued him. And as a result, here we are 502 years later from the beginning of the Reformation. And whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Lutheran or not, there is no one in our world who has not been affected by what this man did. He changed the whole map of Europe. He changed politics, he changed the way we do faith, he changed the way we even inter interact faith and politics. The fact that we live in a country that says we get to elect our leaders, that, that these are the kinds of things that happened because he broke the lock that kings and emperors and popes had over everybody. That was one man willing to follow Jesus, willing to face these things, and the world's never been the same since. And so I don't know what impossible or perilous things Christ might be putting in your path, but what I would suggest to you is there are hard things you could start doing right now. Like you could take a word of Jesus and take it seriously. You could go out and show your compassion for these people that are like sheep without a shepherd and listen to their struggles and their hurts. And instead of trying to be the Bible answer guy, instead of trying to be the solution maker, you could just listen and tell them, boy, that sounds really hard. That stinks. And you could show that you have compassion for them. And if you set your foot on that path, I don't know what Jesus is gonna do with you, but what I know is he's gonna grow and develop and save your life. And you're gonna have an impact that you can't wait to see. This is what Mark shows us today. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I give you thanks for the examples that you've given us today. This picture that your own follower, Mark, paints that, that we who follow you, who accept the call to reflect your goodness and your power to the world, 
that you ask us to do hard things, but you also bless us in equally commensurate ways. That the more we step out in faith, the more goodness and power of you we get to see in our lives and the more of an impact we get to make in the lives of others. So Lord God, give us hearts that do not quake at the sight of the storm, but that trust that you are there with us in every moment, giving us your power, your qualifications to face anything that this world might throw at us. We pray in your holy name. Amen.